Grand Canyon, where hidden forces shape our ideas, beliefs, and experiences. And experiences. Join us as we uncover the stories between the canyon's colorful walls. Probe the depths and add your voice. Add your voice for what happens, what happens next. next at Grand Canyon. At Grand Canyon. Welcome. This is Jesse. This is Emily. And this is this is Behind the Scenery. Wait, what is the net? This is for catching butterflies, and um, and then we're using cameras to take pictures of butterflies. Once a day, um, each year, I lead a butterfly count here at the Grand Canyon. And we're actually looking at the butterflies that are here in 2021. And we're gonna compare the butterflies that were around in 1950 and 1940 and 1930. Do you remember 1930? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that great? There were butterflies all over this place. Well, it, we're gonna compare. And, and sometimes in science, it's really fun to be able to have a comparison um, because butterflies, like a lot of animals and plants, we can actually see if there's changes happening. We think that the climate's warming really quick. That's been the trend. And then even rain, precipitation, and snow is changing. And then plants will change. And then even butterflies will change. That's cool. Yeah. Wow. Some butterflies will be new. Like there's these wow. ones I saw last year. They're from Mexico. Oh wow. We're not in Mexico. That's way <laughs> over there. So, so there might be some some Mexico butterflies coming across to to, to the United States That's and up into Canada. Yeah. Hi, I'm Emily, a park ranger at Grand Canyon. You were just listening to park guide Rob Hanawacker talking to a visitor on the North Kaibab Trail. This is Behind the Scenery, a podcast that gives you a glimpse into the park's goings on. I've pieced together a few interviews with staff here at Grand Canyon discussing the topic of butterflies and why they're an important part of the ecosystem here in the park. So this is Allie Mossel and Kirsten Colstad. We are interpretive park rangers here at Douglas Scoop on the South Rim. We're seasonal rangers. I asked Kirsten why the park holds a butterfly count. Listen in as she and Rob discuss the importance of butterflies as indicators of climate change. Why do we count butterflies? The butterflies are like a really great indicator on climate and the environment and habitat. Um, butterflies are going to be greatly impacted by habitat loss, um, whether it's like you know by direct human activity or you know indirect just like climate change. Um, and then also the migration of butterflies again can help us learn a lot about climate change, wildlife, and their patterns are moving. Um, why is that different from you know 20, 30, 40 years ago? Um, can kind of help like help us clue in on the health of our environment. Um, so I didn't realize that butterflies did play such a crucial role in identifying like larger environmental issues. So kind of exciting, but but also a little bit scary, honestly. Uh, you, uh, I know that our civilization's done pretty well with a stable climate. So hopefully we'll try to make it stay stable in the future. That'll be best for us um, uh, and probably best for all the other living things too. I followed up with Rob to better understand how the warming trends affect insects. Generally speaking, I think climate change is, is bad for biodiversity 
But since insects are really, uh, they, they tend to be, they, they tend to favor warmer temperatures than colder. Um, they, some of them actually might expand in range, including really amazing butterflies that are currently in Mexico, but now being seen in what's now the United States a lot more. So now that we've learned why it's important to study butterflies, let's get practical. How do you actually count butterflies? Rob gave us some practical advice during the count. Well, the trick is, is you wanted to go into the net. <laughs> oh, oh Allie, try that. <laughs> yeah, I I, I, I'm so good at advice. <laughs> it, it's not going to go in there by itself. It's so pretty <laughs> Or it could, you never know. Yay! And then lift up, and then it'll fly toward the top, hopefully. Fly to the top. Is it doing it? Yay! You're getting it. All right, let's have a look. We caught and identified a variety of butterflies, but there is one special butterfly sought after here on the North Rim. Allie is eager to find one. So, do you guys ever see the kaibab swallowtail? Yeah. Is it pretty rare to see, or...? It's always a treat. Always a treat. Uh, I would love to see that. Yeah. That would I, I make would really my love you guys to see it too. Um, what is this special butterfly Ali is hoping to see? Let's listen to Rob discuss the Kaibab Swallowtail with some visitors on the trail. It's a special butterfly, really sought after by uh, collectors, and a lot of them feel uh, upset because it's hard for them to get permit to collect in the park. We actually have a really interesting story about. Um, poachers um, that actually uh, uh, it was here in other parts of the world um, you're not allowed to collect at all in in national parks um, uh, I have actually permit to bring them back to the insect collection yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's for the for science right? exactly but for myself if I was just bringing these home for myself to look at put in a box and stockpile that's to me. That's kind of weird. It's super selfish. It's like it's kind of selfish along the trail or something. Yeah. Like, oh, this belongs and, to me now. There are no provenance, no nothing. And here. and one step so, beyond so. there that is really scary and addictive, I think, is I could sell these. Back in the eighties, they were selling them for three hundred dollars for a male and female pair. Mm. Wow. But today, it's probably much higher. So our rangers need to keep an eye out for poachers. And wait. Tell me more about these poachers. So what they did, instead of falling off into the cliff like I, I nearly did, um, they would walk down the well-maintained, uh, albeit uh, a lot of mule urine, um, uh, North Kaibab Trail. And, um, and they would find these little, um, these little side canyons that had the host plant that these butterflies um, really, really like, and it's like an oil inside of that plant that they just have to have it as a nutrient. Um, uh, otherwise, they they won't survive. So they they uh, will go ahead and just walk off trail and and grab as many of these caterpillars. Um, but the caterpillar, it's got the most ridiculous. I mean, it's like a clown. It is uh, black in pink striped horizontal with orange polka dots so it's like uh like like some sort of cool sock you'd wear from the 1960s that's what this, this crazy thing looks like 
so they're easy to spot, you know, and they're just grabbing these things and then, uh, and then basically raising them at their houses until they became butterflies. They were catching some butterflies with nets and they were like these little collapsible nets that they had, um, that bioquip cells, uh, um, <laughs> I think they called it the park service special. Uh, just something you can hide really well. And if a ranger was to pass by, you just say, ah, oh, I'm just I'm checking out these plants here. I'm a botanist uh, or I'm looking for birds. Hey, he got binoculars, you know, and you can hide your net uh, really easy. Um, but in the case of the Kaibab Fualto, they really didn't have to net anything. In fact, if you net it, um, that butterfly's already had a life that's probably reproduced. It's, you know, it's been flying around a while and it'll show on the wings, all these little imperfections. Um, for me, uh, collecting for science, I don't care if it's got imperfections as long as it's identifiable. I think it's beautiful whether it's fresh from Cuba or not. <laughs> uh, but these guys, they're selling them on the black market. So they, they're looking for pristine and they're selling them um, since the genders, the sexes of the, two, the, two, the, the male and female look a little different. They would sell them in pairs. So male and female pair. Back in the late 80s, they were getting $300 each pair. Um, so those caterpillars, they raise them in their houses and as soon as they emerge from their pupae, they are dead day one as an adult. They never had a chance to, to get out there and uh, do their adult thing, which by and large is to reproduce. Um, so it's kind of sad, but um, they didn't want the imperfections that uh, nature brings to um, their butterflies. So they that's how they, they make quite a lot of money. And I'm not sure if the punishment was enough um, Honestly, because, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's been going, if it's ongoing or, or not, but it's the one and only case I, I know of. Uh, besides, like, they were actually poaching other, um, other butterflies around the world, but in North America, mostly national parks and, uh, fish and wildlife, uh, areas. And, uh, and eventually they got caught. Wow. What a story. Turns out, though, this coveted butterfly isn't even an endemic subspecies after all. We have new scientific research that Rob will explain. Uh, the Kaibab swallowtail is not a subspecies. It is not a separate segregate. Um, it is a darker population of an extant um, minority um, subspecies of the Indus swallowtail. So uh, that's really recent. It hasn't been published yet. As it turns out, to disappoint poor um, uh, Bear, who um, he's the author, he's the one that determined, it's, hey, this is something new. It's, it's a new species or a new subspecies. It looks like she's wrong. <laughs> but, but I think it's understandable, um, the phenology, so that's... Um, kind of how a gene is expressed. You can see it usually uh, in what a butterfly or organism looks like. That was a lot of science talk. But let's be honest, most of us don't have degrees in life sciences. That doesn't mean we can't participate in events like the butterfly count. Allie and Kirsten will elaborate. You all were citizen scientists for 
the North Rim Butterfly Count. Can you kind of define what that means to be a citizen scientist? Yeah, a citizen scientist is a volunteer that participates in various projects that um, help the Park Service. And, you know, every year the National Park Service puts on a butterfly count every July to just keep track of the species that are living in the area. Also, I feel like there's like a lot of things that you can do to help to like park out birds without needing like an in-depth science background. And so, you know, like being a citizen scientist, like anyone can learn how to identify and count butterflies. Um, there's lots of things in the park that you can like volunteer with that you don't necessarily need an in-depth background for. Maybe it's a little training and then you can help with a larger effort. So I think that's, that's kind of crucial for being a citizen scientist. Just learning to identify these species, learning their habitat, their host plant, how to collect the species. So we definitely learned a lot from Rob. Would you recommend the Citizen Science Project to friends and coworkers? Oh, yeah. It was a lot of fun. Um, again, like, it helps you find a new way to appreciate your environment. So, like, a lot of people, like, go on hikes, they're like, oh, that's so beautiful out here. But there's so, like, many small intricacies in nature. And just having that training to be able to look and identify new things and understand what role they play in the environment, I think just adds a new sense of appreciation for nature. So I absolutely would recommend it to anybody. Yeah, and then Kirsten and I were both really excited to come up to the North Rim. This was Kirsten's first time at the North Rim, this was my second. So to be able to explore another part of the park that we work at was really exciting. So do you have any advice for people that are listening from outside the Grand Canyon that maybe they could do to help support the pollinator population in their home communities? Because Butterfly Count did go to the North American Butterfly Association. I did start looking on their website. Um, it looks like they do have some efforts where you can like arrange your own community butterfly count. Uh, and also a good resource there for like what butterflies are, get it to your area. And then um, that would be a great, first, a great place to start to get some resources on how to help support these populations. And like Ali was saying, like if you have the ability to plant, you know, anything that any native pollinator likes, it's, it's always a good idea. A lot of our pollinators are spread. Yeah, we'll definitely post links to some of those websites where people can find out about their regional native plants that would support pollinators and help them with some basic how-to plant gardens in their home communities. Do you have any final message for the listeners? Uh, it's really cool to get out there and to like learn a new skill and spend your day out in nature. I mean, that sounds so silly and maybe cliche, but it's like, I think everybody should go find something local in their area. Uh, it doesn't have to be a national park. It could be a local park and get out and volunteer. You really learn a new way to appreciate your environment and, um, you know, want to work for protecting and preserving that environment. So I hope everyone does find something that they can get behind in their hometown. Yeah, it's definitely easy to find somewhere to volunteer. Pretty much every national park has some type of citizen science project going on. I did one back at Indiana State National Park for um, collection of sap and making maple syrup. So there's always something going on right up in national parks, but for sure state parks and always looking for people to help clean up trash. I see that all the time. So looking for volunteers to do that even uh, just can 
committing to your community to help in a better place. And yeah, Chase and I have a really great time at the North here. I'm doing the butterfly count. Really happy we were able to come out and join us. Allie and Kirsten left the butterfly count with some new knowledge, but also new friends and new perspective. I will end this podcast with some final thoughts from Rob on that same note. You know, the ultimate goal is not to inventory butterflies as much as it is to encourage encourage people that have an interest in nature to observe and oftentimes as we are humans we we learn from each other we we pick up on each other's passions and 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 uh so i think that's really the ultimate goal of butterfly count is to um is to get people that have a similar interest together and to kind of enrich that uh social psychology of, of nature observation i think it's it's something that we've always had ever ever since we've been people uh, we've always been nature observers and uh i think there's something very therapeutic and enriching uh in butterfly watching bird watching you know and the same goes i think for people that hunt or fish you know might not be everybody's bag but <laughs> um i i still think it's important to our psychology to uh to recognize that we are a, a biophilic species. We are not something that is separate from nature. Um, and, uh, and we need it. We need it for, uh, for inspiration and, and learning and to learn more about ourselves. And, uh, uh, just something I think a little bit innate in, uh, in nature observation and, uh, appreciating, uh, all the variety and beauty, um, not just the extreme geology of the Grand Canyon, um, but all the little, little tiny things too um, can actually be pretty, pretty fabulous if uh, if you uh, spend the energy to to look into it. Behind the Scenery is brought to you by the interpretation team at Grand Canyon National Park. We gratefully acknowledge the Native peoples on whose ancestral homelands we gather, as well as the diverse and vibrant Native communities who make their home here today.